This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to a brand new edition of Under the Dome with CD. Coming to you live. Only and exclusively on 103.7 The Game. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, on this bea beautiful Saturday morning. I'm not going to lie. Like, when I got out of the house this morning, I felt great. Because it just was a damn good day to be out and about. Hopefully you're doing the same. And, of course, it's homecoming day for those Louisiana Raging Cages. They just kicked off not long ago. And trust me, you'll be getting plenty of of updates from me, maybe a little bit more in terms of the score than what you might hear over on that other station. A little shade, I guess. But it's all about what's going on right now all across the state of Louisiana. I think everybody's just looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with the Cajuns. What the hell is going on with LSU? And, of course, you're just getting that much closer to Sunday night. Like Carrie Underwood says, waiting all day for a Sunday night. By the way, that might be my favorite theme song in all of sports is Sunday Night Football. I'm talking about just a straight up whenever they play, like coming in out of breaks. That is a fantastic song. And by the way, that was actually produced or composed, I should say, by John Williams, who was part of iconic scores like the movie Star Wars. So, hey, we got that going for us, which is really, really nice. But, of course... Hopefully you have a great one, and you're listening to us all the ways that you can. And trust me, we got tons of different ways. Not quite the rock, millions and millions of ways, but you've got a few ways to do so. Of course, you got the old school FM dial. It's the tower of power, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit, and space is the place. You also got the free mobile app. You can get it for iPhone. You can get it for Android. It's absolutely free. And it's well worth your time. That way you can listen to me or listen to us, period, wherever you go. And, of course, you got the Amazon Alexa, the Google Home, those smart speakers that you love to have. You can listen to us through there as well. But, of course, we start things off by looking back at a Friday night that was and definitely wasn't necessarily the best week. But it definitely made you think about a lot of different things looking ahead. And we're talking about week six of high school football. We'll start with a Thursday night matchup. Everybody was looking forward to this. Cecilia taking on Opelousas. And those Bulldogs take care of Opelousas 31-7. Then you have Grand Lake beat Gaydon 47-6. Central Catholic take care of business on a big old Thursday night 41-6. And Catholic High New Iberia, those Panthers... Got it done. Shut down Homa Christian. Put up a nice number. 69 to nothing. 
Jumping over to Friday Night Football when the bright lights were all on a lot of different programs. Westgate overcame 200 yards of penalties. You heard me right. 200, 200 yards were the penalties to come away with a 33-27 win over the Turlings Catholic Rebels. Massive win for those Tigers. Ascension Episcopal, the one and only Blue Gators taking care of business against Franklin, winning 35-14. Carrick High hosting Abbeville for homecoming night, and it was definitely a rousing success. 49-7 victory over those Wildcats, getting a win and remaining undefeated. LCA taking on Port Berry, and they shut out Port Berry 68 to nothing right behind that really nice number that Catholic Eye New Iberia put up. And then you also had another shutout in the Acadiana area. St. Thomas Moore laying the smack down on the Northside Vikings 63 to nothing. I know head coach Terry Tidwell probably slept pretty darn good last night because his team won in a shutout. The defense didn't put up a single point. They had five interceptions. It was nuts. Hopefully, we get to see a phenomenal matchup this time next Friday. Then we have Notre Dame of Acadia Paris. The Pios take care of business against Rain, 48-14. Lafayette Southside, an absolute barn burner. And the Mighty Lions hold off a late rally by the Sharks, winning 23-20 to to remain unbeaten and have a really incredible record for the first time in a long time. I know when they were 4-0 a couple weeks ago because they had a game canceled due to Hurricane Zeta that hit New Orleans and caused their game to get canceled. They were, I think, 5 or they were guaranteed a winning season for the first time since I was a junior in high school at Carrico High, which was really, really cool to kind of relearn that fact. And then you have Bro Bridge taking on Bo Shane, 42-20. Bro Bridge gets the win. Sulphur rolls over North Vermillion. That was the Vermillion Parish game of the week. The Golden Tours tear it up. 42-8 win over North Vermillion. New Iberia shuts out Como. 49-0. St. Martinville takes down Erath. 36-28. St. Ed's beats Pine Prairie. They put up a nice number as well. 69-6. And then you have Kaplan taking on Crowley. And Kaplan rolled over the, those gents of Crowley, they put up 59 on them. Opelous is Catholic. That was on News Talk 98.5. One of our Delta Media family of stations winning 49-12. to After a couple weeks being off due to COVID-19, they're back. And I'd say they're almost better than ever. Highland Baptist takes care of business against Hanson Memorial 43-30. to Generette ekes one out against Delcom, Iowa beats Westlake 41 to 14 and wrap up the scoreboard with Lorville West St. Mary. Lorville takes care of business 46 to 6. Hopefully you are enjoying all the things going on in the Acadian area. And right now the Cajuns, they are kicking off. They won the toss and deferred to the second half. And it's definitely, the, the clock isn't necessarily working right now, but they are absolutely, it looks to be pound the over on this contest early. Arkansas State, a lot of injuries on that team right now, and they are third and goal, and they just missed a fourth and goal opportunity. Logan Bonner pass incomplete to Jonathan Adams, so it looks like they're going to be setting up 
for a field goal, a methodical 12-play drive to start off the contest for the Red Wolves. All that time I was talking, they already kind of got started. The Cajuns deferred to the second half, so they have a chance to do a little, as Kevin Foote likes to call it, the make it, take it. And honestly, that strategy has paid off really well for the Saints, so why not kind of take away from them? It's not that huge of an opportunity, but yeah, they're going to line up for a field goal try. So once we kind of get that score up for you, we'll give you an update. But of course, there's a lot of other takeaways across the Acadiana area that I want to get to right now. And I think without a doubt, the one that stands out the most is just the fact there were a lot of blowouts. I brought up Catholic High, St. Edmund, LCA, and STM put up high scores like crazy. It was absolutely a blowout week in terms of in terms of high school football. Well done. And Arkansas State misses the 20-yard field goal. Misses the relatively cheap shot. A nice opening drive, but they don't get it done. So still 0-0 after the Red Wolves' opening drive. The Raging Cages still have a ways to go. That's absolutely crazy. Hit the goal post, apparently. Thank you to RP3 for dropping that one. But Bonner looked good. I knew he was de- he's dealing with an injury, so it might be limited in the contest coordinator, our good friend Kara Ritchie. So you're going to have, he was 5 for 7 for 58 yards, so the passing game is going to be absolutely huge. I think we need to see guys like Braylon Trahan step up, former Acadian high product. And i got to say, looking at some of the other matchups across the Acadian area outside of those blowouts, Cecilia and St. Martinville don't look now. They're low-key big dogs in their districts. I think they're going to be guys to look at and see what they can do going forward because that's going to be looming large for a lot of these programs, a lot of these districts, because we're starting to wrap things up. It's not like how it used to be where it's a 10-week season. You're nearing that end game. Next week, Karen goes taking on STM in the penultimate game of the season. That determines who's going to want to come away with that district, which is going to be probably the best game of the year in the Acadian area. And then you have Opelousas Catholic. They're back after COVID-19. They look good against North Central. Karagrest, yeah, they handle their business, setting up that Goliath matchup I was just talking about. And I think it's just so cool. The fact that the, that the Karagra Bears and the STM Cougars are currently ranked second and third, respectively. They're set up right now to be like one of the highest-ranked matchups, I'd say, in the entire state all year. And I am absolutely looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with a lot of these programs, especially when it comes to the Karakura Golden Bears, because they have every chance to make a run that we have not seen in a good while. We just don't know what to see right now with a lot of these different teams because they've played a lot of like halfway decent teams, but I still feel like there is going to be something that's different about this Karakura Golden Bears team. The last few years, they've, bumped their head and basically gotten so far but have never been able to hit past that quarterfinal. The quarterfinal has been that bar. I think I've said it before. This is a character team with all the people that were coming back this year. This was an opportunity to do something you hadn't done in almost a decade and make it back to the dome. I think this is that year and I hope it is that year because I think this team deserves it. You've got guys like Kendra Williams, Popcorn, Prejean, all those guys. Even guys like Bailey Despanning. Like, There's a lot of seniors on this team, a lot of guys that have helped really build up a lot of momentum for this program over the last two or three years. 
So I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in the next seven days, six days, I should say, see what head coach Tony Corville brings to the table, and more importantly, what happens with STM, what Jim Hightower has prepared for a team that knows how to play defense extremely well and has been able to shut out a program like West Monroe to start off the season. This will be a game where I don't think you'll be stopping the count anytime soon. So I'm looking forward to seeing this time next week to be talking to you about a Karen Grow win or an STM win. Either way, you're going to be in for a barn burner. And the cool thing is, we're going to have both the games on our Delta Media Family Stations. I love to put this over. The fact we got one, two, three, four, five, six high school teams or high school football games all airing on Thursday or Friday nights. That is just absolutely freaking awesome. The fact we have that in 2020, COVID-19, whatever, we get six games free. We couldn't be having seven if not for Hurricane Laura destroying the Lake Charles area and Barb High School basically decided they're not going to hit they're not going to play. They would be on 104.1 FM out in the Oak Grove. But it's so darn cool that in 2020, we are sitting here and we're getting ready to have one of the biggest games of the year. It's STM versus Karen Crow. And these two are going to be squaring off for a district crown. And in the case of Karakrow, they could be contending for possibly a number one seed in Class 4A postseason. And you'll hear the Karakrow call on Z1059 with the back-to-back. Looking to go Tom Amansky back-to-back-to-back. LSWA High School Football Broadcast of the Year crew. Award-winning crew. Ben Love, Blaine Viator. While you'll hear the STM Cougar call right here on 103.7 The Game, Danny Jones and the coach, Sam Heinen, going to be on the call for that one. And the Cades going to be punting from down near the end zone. Offensive P.I. ruined their first drive of the afternoon. Hopefully they can bounce back from that. This team's always a second-half team in my book. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we got a lot of things to get to. Next... We're going to go ahead and talk about what's going on with the Boston Red Sox and them bringing back a former Astros bench coach and my thoughts on that and so much more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadian, a sports station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. CD may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay off me, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Third and long right now for the Arkansas State Red Wolves, and they are forced to punt after Jamal Jones rushes for three yards. So still 0-0 with eight minutes left in the first quarter. Right now, uh, Quad Brown just scored a touchdown for Georgia State, looking just across the Sun Belt for a moment. 
There's a couple games going on, and Georgia State taking on ULM. Georgia State on the board, and that one, a little fun belt action for you on a Louisiana Saturday morning. Hope you love it. And, of course, with them, you know, LSU being off this week, there's a lot of the games out there of note. I'm kind of sort of disappointed because I was wanting to kind of flip it on in here inside the game studios to a little bit of, you know, NCAA football action. Texas is taking West Virginia right now. That's on ABC. I was kind of hoping that that would be on. Then I turn around right before we come back from break, and it's on ABC News' coverage of the election. And if you want to see that, you know, I'm not going to spoil it, but honestly, that's just it is what it is. But when it comes down to it, there's something that, isn't what it is for me. And it absolutely frustrates me to no end that this is happening. And it should be no surprise. Alex Cora is returning to the Red Sox after one year away. Literally. After all this stuff is said and done, A.J. Hinch has a new job with the Detroit Tigers because of the fact that, obviously, the Astros are wanting to have Dusty Baker for at least a couple more years. He's on to do an extension. But Alex Cora returning to the Red Sox has really burned my beans because I think it's just the fact that it's the Boston Red Sox and they get their boy back after one year, after the fact that they did not do a damn thing. They are sitting there, you know, having probably one of the worst years ever, and just like that, they're going to go ahead and get back down to it. They are, oh, wow, this is nuts. Okay, I'm going to hold off on that. Utah State is parting ways with Gary Anderson. This news just kind of broke from Dan Wolken. Word starting to reach the staff over there. So Utah State, wow. I can't believe how quickly they're getting rid of that guy. Because remember last year, LSU played Utah State. I can tell LSU in a little bit of why they suck this year. There's a lot of different reasons why. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to talk about Alex Cora and the fact that he is back with the Red Sox after less than a year. He was suspended for a year, a lot like A.J. Hinge, Jeff Lunau, who I think should be getting a job somewhere in the league because I think he's highly underrated as a GM, and I don't believe he had nearly as much to do with it as others. Next thing you know, you're going to see Carlos Beltran get a job back. Maybe Jeff Wilpon, or no, excuse me, not Jeff Wilpon, the, uh, that new guy, Steve Cohen, now that he's taken over the Mets, he could bring them back after firing damn near everybody on that staff. You want him going full Vince McMahon and just saying, you're fired, pal. He's firing everybody in sight. But without a doubt in my mind, that what the Boston Red Sox did should have been expected a long time ago. Because this is, after all, the MLB that loves to root for, pull for the Red Sox, pull for the Cubbies, pull for the Yankees, the Dodgers, all these major market teams. And maybe it's just me being conspiracy theorist, but I have to say, this is frustrating to me. The fact that we are sitting here in 2020, and now we're going to be talking about, probably for the next several years, this, I, I can't believe it, that we are sitting here and the Red, the Red Sox just bring back their guy. And within a couple of years, it might be back to relevancy and who knows, maybe, just maybe, the team wins another World Series. Meanwhile, the Astros are the ones that are going to be suffering for a long time. It might be just me being a fan, but just the overall frustration that I've had with the MLB and the way they've handled this entire situation. Because honestly, 
there should have been a clause to make sure that they don't get their guy. To make sure they don't get it. But no, 2020, they just continue to be frustrating. Meanwhile, the Cajuns just turned it over on downs, and Arkansas State has a short field to work with. So that's interesting. Anyways, I am just so incredibly just sitting here wondering why. Why are we here in 2020? Like the fact that Alex Cora is a manager for the Red Sox after a year away because he was fired, justifiably so, or suspended for a year, and then they wound up letting him go and just bring him back, have a little crony take over for a year and, and deal with the fact you're going to be absolute crap in 2020. And in a couple of years, you're back at it. You're back towards the top of the league. It's disappointing. It makes you wonder like, if the shoe was on the other foot at all. Because I've been thinking about that. If the shoe was on the other foot, and let's say the Red Sox, who am I kidding? The Red Sox would never be. But hypothetically, if they were at the head of this table and they were at the center of this whole sign ceiling controversy, which is a bunch of BS, to be honest with you, they have, without a doubt, just said, hey, you know, we're going to go ahead and set up shop and basically say, hey, we're going to move on and this group in particular is going to get hit the hardest and everybody else can kind of do what they want to do. The New York Mets, case in point. Again, they could be bringing back Carlos Beltran, but then they could be bringing back you know a lot of other guys. Meanwhile, the Astros are the ones that have to wallow in the misery. And I'm sure damn near everybody, and I mean everybody, is loving the fact that the Houston Astros are going to suffer severely for their punishment. It didn't look like last year. It looked like this past season. They were literally one game away. One game away from kind of giving the middle finger to everybody and winning that game seven. But no, you had to wind up having wild things show up in game seven. Throw a, throw a wild throw a Hit a batter on the first that first pitch of the game, and then you allow a two-run shot from Randy Rosarena, or as I call him, Randy Bobandi. You wind up allowing him to put up those kind of numbers, and we're sitting here just questioning everything. And as the game progressed, you kept Wild Thing in, and he just absolutely was mild the rest of the game. You know, it was frustrating to see. How can we not just sit here and say, "Hey, we want to." make everything about making sure that we protect the big guys, those major market teams. Now, I know Houston, in terms of population everything, is a major market. But in the eyes of the MLB and the four-letter network and everybody else wants to put the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubbies, to a lesser extent, but you get it, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. They want to put those guys, the the old guard, head and shoulders above the rest. They want to put them as the absolute big dogs and make sure that they are untouchable. But the Astros, because they're not 
one of the boys, one of those guys that the what the MLB and the rest of the media has to protect, has to hold in their arms and make sure that nobody hurts hurts their little boy, hurts the golden goose. And that's what we got just a few weeks ago with the Dodgers winning the World Series. Is I guarantee you, if it was the other way around, this is something I've wanted to say for a while. With the whole, the way the game ended, it was frustrating to see the way Game Six ended. With the fact you had a guy test positive for COVID, and you get the result in the middle of the game. How do you not make that decision that hey, you know, tell this guy to sit out of the game entirely? Because it makes you, it makes me wonder why did that come out at the time that it did and I've been thinking about it over the last I've been cogitating this over the last couple weeks and this might be me just going full-blown black helicopters like my good buddy Alan Michael but I think it's a valid argument who's to say that the MLB just said hey let's go ahead and kind of sweep this under the rug make sure we can get this game in because we know there's a potential positive case. Because you think you would know this before the game starts. Rather than, oh, hey, pull him in the middle of a game. That really matters. I was absolutely frustrated to see the fact that they announced this right after the game ended. Oh, hey, this guy tested positive for COVID-19. A guy that played in the game. If it was a race player, I guarantee you they would have called it off. Called it off. And given the race Plenty of time to figure out what they were going to do. And more importantly, make sure the Dodgers are well-rested. Then we're going to have Clayton Kershaw come out for Game 6 and give him the win. Or what if the Rays had won? What if the Rays had won? I guarantee you the, the MLB would have had to stop the game, stop the World Series, for at least two or three days. And that would have caused a whole bunch of other cluster you-know-what. But it's absolutely just frustrating that I am sitting here in 2020 and wondering what's going on with my MLB. This is not me being sour grapes or anything, but the fact that we've got the Dodgers being the World Series champion and having a guy with COVID-19 gets off scot-free because of the fact he got out of his little isolation chamber and went celebrate with his team. I'm just saying, that's really where my problem lies. It continues to become obvious that unless you're the Los Angeles Dodgers, the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox, to a lesser extent the Chicago Cubs, we don't give a damn about you. We want those teams to win every single year until we get tired of it. Nobody else can win but them. Hopefully those things can change in the not-too-distant future, but it's getting frustrating. I'll take away some away from the baseball talk for a little bit. I'll give you some football talk, because I've got some thoughts about a group of five teams and where they kind of stand in the hierarchy of college football. I think you'll be interested in some of those thoughts. We'll be back after this right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. 
The numbers don't lie. Because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station. 1037, The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Arkansas State up 3 nothing right before the end of the first quarter. Kicked a f- nice short field goal, taking advantage of the short field they had to deal with. And then an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty was on the Cajuns after the field goal attempt with um, uh, Andre Jones penalized 15 yards. will be assessed on the kickoff. This wound up being a, still a touchback from what I was kind of able to tell. So the Cajuns... Have the ball right now at their own 25. Hopefully they can do a little bit better than they have the last couple of drives, having a punt it and a turnover on downs. And it's been nothing going so far for this team. Hopefully that thing can bounce back before long. But before I get to what I want to talk about with them, uh, the with the group of five and teams I think that could very well crack the college football playoff party, I want to say to people who are like reacting to the video on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 1037thegame. Make sure you give us a like if you haven't already. And I've gotten some interesting comments. One from our regular guy, Frank, telling me to shave. He does this all the time. He did this last year when I changed my profile picture to the one I have when I was at the Superdome after the Cages-Mississippi State game where I revealed the beard in full. I think I might, may have had a picture before that with the beard but this one was in its like full glory, and his comment was, "Go shave." I'm like, "No, nah, I'm not." I, yeah, I, I like the, I like the fact your laugh the laugh emoji just makes you like, "Yeah, I got you, I got you, fam." And people like said this a lot, especially um our guy Chet Yoder, formerly of 1037 the game. Now he's up in the Shreve, calling him a mud bucks hockey and him a being a blackjack dealer. That's what he's doing now. In case you want to know. What happened to that person that we used to work here? That's what we're doing here. But they usually give me a lot of hell about the beard. Personally, I like the beard. It's perfect. I feel like this is just, it works extremely well. I like how it just looks. Because for the longest time, I had, like, I was clean shaven all the time. And that was probably until a couple years ago. I wound up, like, just randomly deciding to, like, grow out my beard. It's still one of the like the weirdest things because I wound up growing my beard like it was right around Christmas time because I was like it was weird it was a weird year where we had it like the Saturday before Christmas on my dad's side then on my mom's side it was like Christmas Eve and it was like Christmas Eve I think it was like the Monday or something so I just decided on a whim get a get a shave and everything the Saturday before. And then just don't shave for a few days because I wasn't working for a couple days here at Acadiana Sports Station. So I was like, I'm come back, have a little bit of stubble and see how it goes. Because I was just going to see how it looked. That was my big thing. Because, again, I know not everybody can grow a beard. And it's just, it's to see how it looks. Because if it's going to be patchy in different spots and it just would look weird or it wasn't able to grow in full, like, like the big thing for me was to see how the like the, the connector was because when you had the beard and the mustache and all connects, then it's a perfect, it's a perfect beard to be honest with you. Cause if you could just grow like, 
let's say you grow around like the chin and everything, but you can't necessarily have a good connector. That's really where the beard like is made or broken in my book. Like when you go from the beard, go from the mustache all the way down to the goatee, which I used to have back when I was younger and stupider, which I just grown the full beard then. But, you know, I just didn't know how it would necessarily all like come together. But luckily now it actually just looks fantastic. And I do not regret a single bit of it. Maybe I should have trimmed it a little bit more, especially during the pandemic. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm sure most of us, like when we were growing those quarantine beards, we did not care necessarily. And trust me, I like the thing. I think the longest I had it go was about like three, you know, months without trimming. And that thing got like really, really long where I had to constantly just make it work to where it wasn't a complete pain. And when I finally got it all off, it, I, I, I felt it's, it's weird. Whenever I actually do trim it, I f- look like my face gets thinner simply by shaving the beard, but I like it. It's an interesting process to see this whole thing kind of go down. Meanwhile, the Cajuns into the first quarter. And they haven't, after putting up 600 yards last week, they have not put up hardly anything right now. 13 yards total in the first quarter. Four passing, nine rushing, currently down three, nothing, heading into the second quarter there. But I want to get to my thoughts on college football and where do I think certain teams are. And one thing, you know, in the midst of a pandemic and the uncertainty of the Pac-12 coming back, and they're finally back. They have like 9 a.m. kickoffs their time, but we still get some Pac-12 after dark. So trust me, your boy is so excited about the fact that we get not just, you know, like football this week. We get high, we get high school football on Friday nights. It's great. Saturday football, awesome. Now we get like college football at like 9 o'clock at night because – I'm going to ramble on for a bit about myself for a minute because I am a huge proponent for like Pac-12 after dark. I may not necessarily respect the Pac-12 as a viable conference in terms of the college football playoff. I will never say they are. And a nice pass from Lewis to Peter LeBlanc, Catholic High, New Iberia product, getting it done. That team is at midfield, and my computer decided to crash on me. Don't you just love how these things work? going to go ahead and try and get my computer to reboot while we're at it. Luckily, I've got all my notes here on my phone. But I'm a huge proponent for Pac-12 football just being around. Because it's one of the coolest things going. Largely because you get to talk a lot, we talk a lot of mess and just talk a lot of trash about Pac-12 football. That's fine. We can talk about it. But at the end of the day, when you have Pac-12 football in your life, it's amazing. Because you sit there and you watch some really fun teams square off. And you get to see football at like 9, 10 o'clock at night. And that's usually whenever my peak hours of like watching football are. And this is kind of going back to me like, a few years ago, whenever I used to be able to go to Cajuns games, and they never played at 11 a.m. <laughs> so I'd usually, they do Cajuns usually play at 6 p.m., and my day would start around that time. My day would start six, like 
my day would start here. Then usually I'd leave to go cover the Cajuns game. A few hours later, go take care of a couple other things, leave, go cover Cajuns game. And when that's done, I, when I'm done covering post game, all that stuff, and doing the recaps, I sit at my house and I'm like, what the heck? Take a quick timeout. My computer just has decided not to cooperate with me. Back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Looks like we're back in action here because I was having a little issues with my computer deciding to go ahead and I'm uh, shut down on me, so I was having to kind of reboot it and then my battery was low, thought the thing wasn't connected because my battery is about to like pretty much go the way of the dodo bird, but if I can keep this thing rolling for at least the next hour and 45 minutes. But I was talking about what's going on with the group of five, and I wound up talking about like late night football. And late at night, after I got home, got comfortable, turned on the TV, and I completely didn't realize there was one game in particular that was going on. I was absolutely looking forward to it. And that was what was going on with BYU-Boise State. BYU's a hell of a team and is probably one of the premier programs in the country right now. If you're not counting, obviously, you know, teams that are independent or group of five, this is the team that everybody's looking at, head and shoulders above the rest. The Cougars are ranked eighth. And to me, you know, it came to a realization. This is this year's Notre Dame. Obviously, Notre Dame in the ACC, so they have a far easier path relative to, you know, getting into the college football playoff and crashing that party versus other years where everybody wonders why they're actually in the field, why they're actually existing there in 2020. But, you know, I looked at it. They they really are, and I wound up looking at the way they are. They're undefeated, ranked eighth in the country, and all their wins have been by humongous margins. But it's not enough to crack that glass ceiling in my book. And it's all because of the fact that, you know, they've – Beaten relative jabrones. You know, they beat Latex Bell a lot. Texas State, they destroyed them. Maybe crushed their soul a little bit. But outside Navy and Houston, and this is a Houston team that isn't anywhere near where they were when Tom Herman was running things before he wound up kind of going to Texas and not necessarily doing a whole heck of a lot really great with them, at least to start the seasons sometimes. And obviously there's a lot of heat on them. But I don't think that he's really justified. I'll say that much. I think he could do better with Texas. I think that's that's the big thing. But outside Navy and Houston, they played a lot of relative jabronis. And I think there's not a top 25 win of the bunch. That probably hurts the stock of them making it in, even if they run the table. Because they've only got a couple more games left in the season. I pulled it up earlier. Because I want to see what the rest of their season looked like. And they play San Diego State and North Alabama to end the 2020 season. Those are the last two games on the schedule, and they've got like th- two weeks from now before North Alabama. And then they got San Diego State on December the 12th. So 
after those two, you've really got to be thinking, okay, what are we going to do here? What what are we going to do? And I was just like, okay, that's team. That's a team is going to immediately be in the in the top ten at the end of the year, but they won't crack that top twenty five. They won't crack that college football playoff party. That being said, what former LSU O line coach Jeff Grimes is doing right now as the offensive coordinator for the Cougars is impressive, and that's what's really stood out to me about them. While I was thinking about BYU and their great start to the season. People start thinking about if there's a single solitary team from the group of five that has an actual chance of crashing the party. And the sixth-ranked Bearcats was the one and only team that came to mind. And there are three reasons why, out of all the other teams, looking at you, Shantz, that I feel they could break that glass ceiling in this crazy year of 2019. The first one is the fact they're in one of the stronger conferences in terms of where the committee is going to perceive them. Some of them might be at a stronger conference because of Coastal Carolina, the Cajuns, being at the forefront of the conversation, but I still think of the American Athletic Conference is the one that everybody looks at and says, hey, this is the conference that we need to talk about in terms of the conversation of who makes the playoff. Secondly, you know, they have a top 25 win over SMU, who is still ranked right now. Cincinnati has every chance to do this. I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that Big 12, their chances of making the college football playoff at this point, slim to none, and slim has left the building. The third is the fact that I think there will be two from the SEC, maybe not two from the ACC. I think one or the other is going to happen, but not both. It just feels highly unlikely, and you know if that happens. Now, obviously, that would require the Big 10 to have teams that lose out or not, not an undefeated team. You'd have to try and figure out a way to make this work. Because the Big 12 is out of the conversation, I feel like, for the most part. If a Pac-12 team goes undefeated, they could very well enter that conversation, but it feels like the the committee is going to say, sit this one out because you waited until November to play. And that's to say, if Pac-12 gets to the end game, Big 10's having trouble getting to the end game when you look at Wisconsin and what they're doing right now. I am sitting here telling you, I think there's every single chance to say, hey, you're going to have Alabama, Florida, or Georgia, if they both run the table, or one of them runs the table, I should say, because they'll play today. But if one of those two runs the table, you think that there should be a definite chance that they get in, even if they lose the SEC title game to Alabama, because I think Alabama's going to stay being Alabama, and win the national title because this is a save and revenge tour 2020 because the fact one, you lost to LSU and two, you lost to Auburn in the way that you did. You got two losses on the year and everybody starts thinking about, Oh, the, the dynasty has fallen. The dynasty has fallen. No, 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 Not even close. This is going to be a team that you look at when you're looking at Alabama versus the rest of the country. This is a team that's going to absolutely dominate. Dominate. I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in the not-too-distant future with Alabama next week. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. Because obviously we need to talk about LSU and why they suck. And we'll talk about that at the top of the hour. That's my Saturday sports sermon for you. So that's a little tease for you. 
in the industry. And Cajuns right now trying to get on the board finally, but things just don't necessarily go their way. I think that's something we're starting to learn. They got a three and out, but they converted a huge fourth down. Elijah Mitchell converts it, and they went for it on their own 35. That is wild. So still early in the second quarter for the Cajuns and Texas State. Arkansas State, excuse me. Texas State was last week, Clint. Get it together. But I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with a team like Cincinnati and where they could kind of stand in the kind of stratosphere of college football. Because there's a lot of different questions surrounding that and what the college football playoff might look like in 2020. Possibly the weirdest year to have a playoff. But hopefully, whenever we are talking about this crazy season, maybe a team with a group of five could crack the postseason. Back after this, hour one in the books, and we'll be back right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. And welcome everyone to Under the Dome with CD, Acadiana's must listen to Saturday morning sports talk show. And hopefully you're having a great one so far on this Saturday. It's a beautiful one, but not so much if you're a Cajuns fan right now and also an LSU fan. We'll get to them in a minute. But the Cajuns currently trailing 3 nothing. about 10 minutes left in the first half, and they just can't get out of their own way. So here's what happened between the time I went off the air to end the hour and coming back. So the Cajuns had just converted on 4th and 1 at their own 35. Levi Lewis throws an arm punt. Basically, a deep ball at about the Arkansas State 21 was interception, intercepted by Sammy Johnson. Then the Cajuns defense, three and out. Good job. Punt was recovered by Eric Gehrer and doesn't do anything with it. Then we get Cajuns have the ball back. They punt it again, 37 yards. So now the Arkansas State has to work the length of the field, and they're starting to get things going, converting another fourth and short. And they're getting it done in a big way, eat, eat huge chunks of yards. But it's absolutely just disheartening. The Cajuns just could not get it done, and they're still like struggling this season in the first half. This should be easy. This should be easy money. But the Cajuns currently are trying to keep Arkansas State from getting in the end zone once again after a fourth and fourth down conversion from Jamal Jones on a fourth and one, now they're nearing the red zone. So hopefully that gives you the latest with what's going on with the Raging Cajuns. But now I want to go from the Cajuns, I want to just shift from them almost completely 
But obviously, there's still a lot of things to talk about with them as we get through this program. Because obviously, we're nearing halftime. Hopefully, once we get to Ross Jackson at 1230, the Cajuns will be at halftime. I won't have to focus in nearly as much on that. Because I'll say this. Doing a show and giving you the latest updates concerning your favorite team and the latest going on, it's a little tough. But hopefully, the Cajuns are that second-half team we all expected. This was going to be possibly a high-scoring game. I know the over-under was like 60-something. And this is definitely underwhelmed on the spreads. Maybe the Undertaker has definitely had a lot to do with this game possibly hitting that under. But, of course, it's time, like we do each and every Saturday afternoon, let's look at what's going on, what's causing all this, and what's causing me to be kind of upset on this Saturday. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. I mentioned it with Ben yesterday, the last show we did, about LSU football. And the fact that, you know, this team just can't seem to stack up wins consistently now. And yes, it's 2020. It's a weird year. This team lost 14 players to the draft, opted out players, injuries, what have you. But this is a team that we were all rooting for and hoping and praying and wishing that could get it done. We were all rooting for them to maybe at least somewhat be back. And I've talked to Ben about this. Heading into this season, you felt like on that schedule that came out after they announced it was going to be a conference-only 10-game schedule, you'd have Alabama, Florida, and Auburn would be a toss-up. At worst, he'd be seven and three. At best, he'd be maybe eight and two, nine and nine and one on a real good day. Because I, I still think Alabama was going to have your number and, and make sure you call him daddy. At least this year. But I'm sitting here in 2020 on November in that bye week, the week that should have been possibly LSU being undefeated or just that one loss against Florida. Obviously, that Florida game's been pushed back to December now, but still. Their sub-500 losses to Mississippi State, who has absolutely sucked in every other game. You've lost to a Mizzou team, a mediocre Mizzou team. You made Eli Drinkwitz look like a champion. You had Auburn, who should be sub-500, and Gus Malzahn should be on the hottest seat of them all. You, you were that close to giving people all across Alabama what they've been wanting for the last several years and giving them a drubbing to make sure that they can send Gus Malzahn's happy ass back home where he belongs and send him away. They could have fired him in the midseason. Trust me, I think that would have been a possibility, even in a COVID year. But now we sit here, sub-500, heading into an Alabama game where undoubtedly you are going to get your ass handed to you. LSU sucks this year, and it's because of a lot of different reasons. Number one, I think this is number one with a bullet. You don't have that alpha male. You don't have that alpha in that team. You don't have that true guy that's going to speak up. I haven't gotten flipped the script yet. I'm going to try and get that probably very soon. But the excerpts I've read, in fact, there's a story about Joe Burrow yelling at Devin White. There ain't no alpha 
in that group, or at least one that hasn't shown his that has shown his face at this time. There is no alpha on this team. I'm not saying there's a bunch of betas, but there's no true big dog that's got bark and is trying to set this thing right. There's none of that. What I'm seeing right now is a bunch of team, as they said in Major League 2, they have no marbles. They have no marbles. Don't have the huevos to truly show what an LSU Tiger is all about. Could it be a culture thing? Maybe. But maybe it's the fact that they believe what they saw last year. That was just going to come to them. No. It wasn't going to come to you right away. You need to have that alpha to keep everybody in line and make sure that even if you have one loss against Mississippi State, you can right the ship. But you righted the ship for one week against Vanderbilt. And oh hey, you were acting like you were you were the big man on campus, weren't you, LSU? Because you beat Vanderbilt. Good for you. Hoorah! Good for you. Good for you. Then you lose to Mizzou. The most damning loss on your record. But then you go back and you beat South Carolina. You beat them the way that you did. You have TJ Finley, a freshman quarterback. Look good. 300 yards of offense. And it was a dominant performance in a lot of different phases. It was refreshing to see an LSU team actually look good. Oh, yay. Yay. You beat South Carolina. You beat South Carolina. But you still lost to Mizzou. I mentioned it with Ben. You can have one win. That does not fix everything. If you can stack up wins, then we can talk about it fixing things. But you didn't do that, did you? We sit here with the Auburn Tigers right there. You could have whipped their tail ends up, down, and sideways. Sorry for getting mad. And I'm not normally mad or upset about what's going on with LSU. But I am absolutely disappointed like Kevin Sorbo and Hercules. Obscure 90s reference for you right there. I am upset, disappointed with this LSU team for a lot of different reasons. The expectations were high, yes. But I think the expectations are still sort of justified. When you look at LSU, these are always large. Everybody has these grandiose expectations every year of LSU being at the very top of the ladder. Now you're right down in the middle in the muck and the mire with Mississippi State, with Ole Miss, with all those other lower tier West 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 Division teams. You are sitting here and telling me, you know, oh, okay, we're just going to go ahead and take this loss. We should be absolutely disappointed, shocked, shook, absolutely angry at the fact that LSU has let down a lot of people. This was a program that just won a national title, and now you're looking like the 2003, the year after the Marlins won it in 03. You lost a lot of pieces, but now you just fold up, shop, you're smiling on the sidelines. Well, guess what? You can smile all you want, because guess what? 10, 15, 20 years down the road, when you have kids and you're telling about how great you were at LSU, guess what? They'll see the film. 
They'll see those highlights when they go on the YouTube, when they go on whatever. Those things will be up there forever. And they'll see that. It's not like back in the day when we didn't have like YouTube or Huddle or whatever. You show them. You play. You be like, hey, I played at LSU back in the day. I played at so-and-so. I was really good. Then they see the film. And you know what that film's going to tell them? But you weren't that good. Daddy, you weren't that good. And he, then they're going to realize that they know that film can't be deleted. When they realize that, they're going to regret playing the way they did against teams like Mizzou, like Auburn, like South Carolina, like Vanderbilt. They're going to regret even being part of this 2020 team. And it sucks. Then we're going to sit here and say, hey, you know, give them a pass. They won the national title. No. I think there should be no excuses for what has happened to this team. And a lot of it is just the fact that nobody, there's no accountability. There's no alpha. There's no guy yelling at the team, telling them, if you don't get it right, I'm going to slap you. There's nobody there amongst that team, amongst those players. Because I think that's the biggest thing, is you need to have an alpha on the team that's going to make sure everybody's in check. Miles Brennan doesn't seem like an alpha to me. And now he's not going to be playing probably the rest of the year. You're going to be dealing with some freshmen that don't have the, their voice, haven't found their voice, haven't been able to find who they are on this team running things. I am sick and tired of the fact that in 2020, we're just going to continue to say, hey, you know, LSU, they had a down year, but, you know, you, you lost all these guys. There's no excuses. You should be at best seven and three, at worst seven and three. Now you have three losses. You're two and three, and probably, maybe get two more wins on the year. Be four and six, four and six. How can you be four and six in the year of our Lord 2020? Like that should be more than enough to tell you. We need to change a lot of things going forward. There needs to be a lot of changes in this offseason. The first one, obviously, is Bo Pelini has got to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho, Bo Pelini has got to go. That's where we're at. Bo Pelini has to go. you got to find a defensive coordinator that is going to be willing to adapt to 2020 times. We wanted Bo Pelini to be good. We wanted him to be the guy that he was back in the day. Obviously, that doesn't click well with the young folk, and that's okay. But we're sitting here, and you're three and two. You're two and three on the year. Just just wrap that around your head. You only have two wins, and they're against South Carolina and freaking Vanderbilt. You lost to Mizzou. And Mississippi State, who has absolutely sucked in every game they've played since. They only put up two points against Kentucky. Kentucky. What in the world are we doing in 2020? What are we doing? If it's a culture problem, fix the culture. Or else, Coach O could be just hanging out in La Rose without a job. 
Because I think that that's where we're gonna we could be. Don't forget about Gene Chizik after the 2011 Auburn season. Don't forget about the fact that that year, Ed Ogeron. I mean, don't forget about the fact Gene Chizik after winning the national title with Cam Newton, he underwhelmed the next year. The year after that, he went three and nine. You know what happened? He got fired. So I think if the season goes the way I expect it to, and this team winds up being four and six, only gets two more wins. And I say maybe two wins. I feel like Arkansas is a win. Ole Miss kind of sort of wavering because Ole Miss has a damn good offense. And I think the lane train could run all over. But I've never seen a sub-500 LSU team look the way they did on Saturday. Smiling, laughing, looking like an Aaron Brooks team. Because I remember those Aaron Brooks teams, those ones that absolutely sucked. I also remember the 2000 team. That was a damn good team. Remember the early years of Deuce McAllister. I don't think people want to remember this 2020 season for LSU. They'll remember the Cajun season for a lot of different reasons. By the way, first and goal for the Cajuns. I'll get to a score update probably before the break. But why in the world in 2020... Am I sitting here questioning what's going on with this LSU team? What are we doing causing a huge drop-off in talent, in level of overall play? They've got talent, but I feel like it's no longer a team. It's individuals. It's individuals who aren't willing to play the game the way it was intended to be played. And I'm just sitting here thinking LSU needs to make some changes in a big way and figure out what's going wrong with this defense. And I think the biggest reason is Bo Pelini. And it's time for him to get the hell out of LSU, to just leave. I'm sorry, but the time has passed him by. That's all I got to say about that. I try and be positive. I try and make sure that I'm like going to be upbeat about a lot of the things. But honestly, this has been frustrating as hell to see LSU go from you know top of the pops to living in the outhouse. That's where we are right now. They're pretty much about three steps away from being Chris Farley and living in a van down by the river. It's frustrating. And I'm not even a huge LSU fan. I never was. As a kid, I was always more of a UL fan. But I grew to support both. Because I want to support the uh, the state. And I think if you support LSU, you're supporting you're supporting your home team. But hey, you want you can support the Raging Cage, you can support LSU. I still to this day, to this day. Don't understand that logic. I'll get to that maybe way down the road about how you can't support both. How you either go UL or go to hell, according to some here in the in the Hub City. I still don't understand that. We'll take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll look at the NFL. Give me, give me some picks to click for week numero nueve. And I'll go ahead and calm down and tone it down a little bit. But hey, hopefully you enjoyed that. Ross Jackson joined the program at 1230. 
Back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United, suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We have reached halftime between the Cajuns and Arkansas State and the Red Wolves still lead 6 to nothing. Cajuns don't have a darn thing going for it right now. They were knocking on the door of the goal line, but a fourth down and goal from the one. Dante Fleming tried running it in but just could not get it done. This is why I think every team, and I'm, I'm being legitimate here. I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. I think every team should have a play in their playbook a lot like what the Saints have with Drew Brees. The leap. How can teams just cannot stop the leap? It's probably the most efficient play that the Saints have in their playbook. Bottom line. It can be on a first down, on a fourth down and like inches, a fourth and goal from the one. It always works. Why can't more teams use that strategy? I think it works really well. And it amazes me that more just don't adapt that. Maybe it's just me. But speaking of the NFL, it's time to talk about some of the games going on across the league. In the league where they play. For pay. Definitely a rough week for me last week with the picks to click. I'm going to get to a lot of the, the, the games that I've got right here, right now, and how I have them picked. The New York football giants and the Washington football team squaring off at a high noon kick. Washington, the host, the home team. Give me the football team getting it done. They have the name football. I can't not root for them. Right now, that is going to be a two-and-a-half-point favorites or the, the skin or the artist formerly known as the Redskins. Now they're the football team. I'm trying to get so used to that a little bit. But give me the football team. The Tennessee Titans and the Chicago Bears. I mentioned, mentioned it before. The Chicago Bears are the frauds of the NFL. Not the frogs, Ben. Frauds. F-R-A-U-D-S. Frauds. Give me those Tennessee Titans getting it done. I think they'll wind up covering the spread there. That's going to be a six and a half point spread. Six half point favorites are the Titans. But Detroit Lions and the Minnesota Vikings, two just muck and mire teams. Currently, Minnesota's four point favorites. But give me the Detroit Lions, my upset special of the week, without a doubt. And according to the Twin Peaks Pro Pickup Challenge, which you can enter to win right, enter to win right now at 1037thegame.com, Lions are 20%. Of the picks going towards them. So they're the clear underdog. It's not the only one that I have in terms of like a true underdog. Then we got the Kansas City Chiefs taking on those Carolina Panthers who seem to have been declawed. Currently 10.5 point favorites are those Chiefs. Give me the Kansas City Chiefs getting the win to go to 8-1 and one on the season. Then we get to the, Tennessee, the Houston Texans taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Two absolutely awful teams. 
both one and six. It's going to be a snooze fest. I think we see the Houston Texans get the win, currently seven-point favorites. I think the Jags do cover, though. Then you get to the Baltimore Football Ravens taking on those Indianapolis Colts. A battle unlike any other. Two hard-nosed teams. It's a pick em, folks. If you're checking out the Lions right now, by the way, 2022 cannot get here fast enough. I'll just say that much. But i got to go with the Baltimore Ravens. I think they're a little bit better than those Indianapolis Colts. Then we go to the Seahawks and Bills. Seahawks making the long road trip from the West Coast to the East Coast. Give me the Seahawks going from coast to coast and winning wire to wire. And they get it done and make that trip back up to the West Coast with another win. And Russell Wilson gets a strong performance that solidifies his MVP resume in my book. Broncos taking on the fail cans. This is another upset for me. I think we got to go with the Broncos getting the win here. Because the Falcons are looking good with the interim head coach. And this is the game that if the Falcons do win, I think they start considering maybe bringing him back, bringing him in the interim, and giving the Ed Ogeron treatment and promote a full-time head coach, but with a leash. But I don't think that happens. I think the Broncos get the win, and the Falcons move to 2-7. and seven. The Raiders taking on those Los Angeles Chargers. Going to make the trip back up to the City of Angels and Devils to a certain extent. The Las Vegas Raiders taking on the L.A. Chargers. It's a pick as well, folks. So i got to go with the Raiders. That's, that hurts my throat every time I do that, by the way. I'm so glad I don't work in like Las Vegas market or AFC West market because I'd be saying that like every day, like at least a couple times a, a week. Anyways, then we get to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Yenzers are the top of the world right now, taking on the lowly Dallas Cowboys, who could be starting Cooper Rush after Maguchi Danucci did not do a damn thing on Sunday Night Football. Give me the Steelers win big here. The Yenzers are going to be happy about that. Alan Michael, I know, is going to be happy about that as well. Then we got to the Los Angeles, the, excuse me, the Miami Dolphins and the Arizona Cardinals. My brain is going crazy right now. So we got to go with the Arizona Cardinals getting the win. Kyler Murray has been looking good. I think he's really going to solidify himself against Tua and the Dolphins. And then we get to the Sunday Night Football, the main event. Everybody's going to be looking forward to Bucks Saints. Give me the Saints. I'm surprised in a Houdat Nation-oriented world, a lot of people are jumping towards the Bucks. I think the Bucks have a good chance to win this game, but give me the Saints. I'm going to go with heart over brain in this one. I think it's nine times out of ten I'm going to do that. It's a homer pick, but I think the Saints have a chance to sweep them. But don't be surprised if a Bucks win does happen. I hate to hedge my bets here. But heart goes with Saints. Mine goes with Bucks. I'm going to go with the heart here because it's usually where I go with all these things sometimes. And sometimes my heart is right. And finally, Monday Night Football, the New England Patriots and the New York Football Jets. They suck. This is the worst game of the week besides Texans-Jaguars. Why this is on national TV amazes me. This is why Monday Night Football should be flexed. 
Because I think, honestly, the Thursday night game was way better on paper. And then all of a sudden you have team, all the players get injured and COVID-19 happens and whatnot. But I'll go with Cam Newton and the Patriots getting right against the Jets. And this should be a boring game, a snooze fest. But you can always listen to it right here on 103.7 The Game. Thanks to Westwood One's coverage of the NFL on 103.7 The Game. I can't do that voice at all. The cat's voice that does the Westwood One stuff has like the golden-throated voice, and it absolutely crushes it every single time. When we come back, we'll talk with Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, and Canal Street Chronicles right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Saturday afternoon. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it through the 103.7 The Game mobile app, that old school FM dial, smart speakers, Amazon Alexa, Google Home. Let's make sure you turn it up because we got a guy at Ross Jackson. We're going to chop it up a little bit about those New Orleans Saints who are on a roll right now, winners of four straight. It has been absolutely a fun time to see this team do it, especially without a lot of their guys. And, of course, we're talking about Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles, and so much more. Ross, how's it going, dude? Oh, not bad, man, not bad. Appreciate you having me on, as always, and glad to be here with you, man. Hope you're doing well. I, I'm doing well. I mean, I'm doing a lot better than LSU is right now. I'll just say that much. <laughs> I ain't that the truth. <laughs> it's, been, it's been nuts to see what I, – I, I was ranting and raving about that at the beginning of the hour, but – I want to talk about the, the Saints team, and like, what are you more impressed with? The fact that the Saints have been able to get it done the way they have without Michael Thomas, without Emmanuel Sanders because of COVID-19, and just the way this whole team has looked, or are you more impressed with just the way – I think the defense has progressed a little bit more. Am, am, I, am I crazy for that? No, not not at all, not at all. I, I think that what what tends to happen is that we get a little fixated on the idea of the big play, right? Everybody wants to eliminate the big play. Can they, you know, all this sort of? But the fact of the matter is that the Saints have allowed seven forty-plus yard plays so far this season, which is tied for the most in the NFL. I believe I know for certain they're tied with the Seahawks. I think they're also tied with the Vikings. Maybe might be the other one. But there's three teams tied up at the top there. But we have to keep in 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 perspective that that. Seven plays, passing plays, seven passing plays out of 240 completions so far on the season. So the percentage of those plays is minuscule in terms of what really affects the game, which is defense over the middle, ball, people, you know, teams being able to move the ball down the field, matriculate, as we like to yes. say. And in particularly, <laughs> and in particularly, um, the issues that the Saints have been having in the red zone. I think that those things need to stand out more. And so we've seen them improve in those areas, not necessarily red zone. They allowed one of two last game, which is better than the three of three, four of four that we've seen in previous games for certain. But they have done a good job of showing up, particularly over these last three games, which have been three-point wins for the Saints in each occasion, showing up when it matters the most. Marshawn Lattimore's tackle on fourth and five. Uh, Marcus Davenport sacked to push Carolina just inches out of field goal range. And then um, in the last game, Trey Henderson sack on third and 10, which was a little bit of a team effort between the secondary and the pass rush to get that sack 
and forced the punt to get the ball back to the Saints in overtime where all they needed to do then was kick a field goal to win the game. So I don't think that you're you're wrong or, or, or anything like that when you talk about the Saints defense getting better because it has progressively gotten better over these last few games, particularly in the moments where it matters the most. Now, Ross, I was talking to this in the last segment about because the, or just a little while ago the Cajuns had fourth and goal from the one. And it made me wonder, why doesn't every team have a Drew Brees leap or something to that extent in the playbook for just that kind of scenario? Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. about. For whatever reason, that has been something that has been very specific to Drew Brees, and I think we've seen Matthew Stafford do it a couple times. But outside of, of, of Drew Brees, we just don't see it done that often. I don't know if there's concern with the risk in terms of potential injury. You know, you get a quarterback off his feet at any point. It can be scary, I think, for a head coach. But I think that for the most part, because of the fact that the, the play is blown dead the moment that the ball crosses the goal line, strategically, it's a really good option for every team to have in their offense, particularly in those situations where you're talking about fourth and one from or fourth and goal from inside the one. I don't know why it's something that's specific to Drew Brees. It could just be my own ignorance, but it does look like something that just about any quarterback could do. Yeah. Um, and we have to keep in mind that Drew Brees is only six foot tall, too. Like you would think, you know, that that would be a like a great thing to kind of have in that pocket because, like, if I'm Am I wrong here? This is probably the most efficient play in the Saints playbook. It's real. It really is. I mean, I think if you if you look at play calls over the course of the Drew Brees and Sean Payton era, I think that's probably the play that yields the highest touchdown percentage, of course. And that's exactly what you want in a to goal to go situation because you think about all those times. Just think about Cam Newton, right? Cam Newton. All the times that we've seen him on fourth and one at six foot five, run to the perimeter and get stopped. We saw that earlier this season as opposed to just leaping and leaping over the, the, the line. I, I don't know what it is that makes it so specific to Drew Brees, makes it so specific to the New Orleans Saints, but for whatever reason, it, it, it is. Uh, it, it is something that, was, that has become specific. But, you, you know, you have to wonder, too, just for argument's sake, let's say that Jameis Winston becomes the next quarterback in, of the New Orleans Saints. I don't think that that play goes away when you have a guy that stands over, you know, in that six. Six three six six uh, six three to six five range uh, of the quarterback, whoever that new quarterback ends up being after Drew Brees, either next year or years to come. That I don't think that disappears with the playbook. I mean, it, it should never disappear from the playbook if we're going to be honest. Because again, it's it's right. a perfect play that like I feel like it almost never gets defend. It's it's almost impossible to defend against. It's like you can swat the ball out, but for the most part, by the time you swat it out, it's already over the line. So the the play's over. Right. It's too late. Like it's abs- yeah. it, it blows my mind. And speaking of efficiency, this is something I, I kind of thought about over the last couple weeks because you've had, obviously, Thomas has been out. You have Marquez mm-hmm. Calloway step up, and then he gets injured. Then you have Emmanuel Sanders, COVID-19. And every time I've seen Alvin Kamara like, have a reception, touch the football, it feels like almost every time he has it, it's almost a guaranteed first down. Is it, Alvin Kamara becoming like the most efficient player in the Saints roster? Yeah, I think so. I think he's your most efficient player right now. I think, you know, once Michael Thomas gets back into rhythm, that maybe he's somebody that can, you know, battle for that crown for the second half of the season. But certainly, if we were giving like a first half of our, uh, of the season award out for most efficient player on the Saints offense, it would have to be Alvin Kamara. Because every, like you said, every time that he touches the ball, it, it's, it's very rare that that play is, is coming to an end at any point soon. Uh, you know, he's, he's done a really great job with the yards after contact. 
He's done a really, really great job with yards after catch, of course, as well. Over in the passing game, there was a point where he had uh, more. He had, I think, he had like ninety nine point seven percent of his yards in the passing game came with yards after catch, which is really incredible. Uh, now he's caught a few more downfield passes. They've developed that that trips play over on the right side of the of the field, where they have him run a wheel route out of the uh, the inside. Uh, most player there that they, they like that play for him they've called that a couple times now and so you're seeing him catch the ball down the field a bit more but there's just something about him I think we really got to the point where we kind of forgot what Alvin Kamara what a healthy Alvin Kamara looked like and now he's just consistently reminding us here throughout the season as he goes on average over 130 scrimmage yards per game it's been just wild to see what he's been able to do over the last few games and you know I've talked about it I mean we've talked about it on Twitter before is the fact that like, I just think that Alvin Kamara definitely deserves some love for MVP. Not like he definitely is in that conversation. I feel like in my mind. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think people, you know, probably think we're crazy talking about a running back for most valuable player, and particularly talking about Alvin Kamara. But when you look at what he's done so far across the NFL, he's top five in, in, in receptions, surrounded by a bunch of wide receivers. He's, you know, at the top of the NFL right now in scrimmage yards as well as all-purpose yards. Cause remember, he had a couple of kick returns and punt returns earlier on this season as well. We're watching him be somebody that's being able to produce in the run game in multiple ways. You can line him up all over the offense and, and, and attack with him however you like. I think that he is somebody that does create. I mean, he has made the offensive player of, uh, offensive player of the year from last year, he has made that role something that you can make up for if you're missing it from your offense. Because the things don't have that Michael Thomas role right now in their offense without him. And Alvin Kamara has erased the need for that in terms of, you know, if you don't have him on the field, you can still produce without him because of what Alvin Kamara is doing. And so I think that that's something that has to be taken into consideration. I think that, you know, we can all have the conversation about him as offensive player of the year, which feels very likely, particularly at this point. But I think that we should at least insert him into at least the conversation. I know it's a quarterback award, but we should at least put him in the conversation for most valuable player, probably along with up until a couple of weeks ago, Derrick Henry. If he got rolling back at his pace again, he would be somebody that I think would, would warrant that conversation as well. But I think that we have to start broadening the, the field when it comes to MVP, at least in terms of the conversation that we're having around it. Oh, 100%. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast and the Canal Street Chronicles. Now let's get to the meat and potatoes of what we're talking about. That is tomorrow night, Saints-Bucks. This is an entirely different Bucks team from what we saw in week one. I think they're they're starting mm-hmm. to gel together. Now you've got Antonio Brown. Do you think he'll even be a relative factor because of the fact that he hasn't played at hardly at all? He played hardly at all last season, and then this year he comes in midway through how do you think he's going to wind up like being a, a if he's going to be a factor at all in this contest? Yeah, it's it's a challenging thing to try to project because I mean we saw Rob Gronkowski sort of come back into the NFL early on this season in the you know sort of take the same rhythm of what I expect for Antonio Brown. Do I think that Antonio Brown can be a you know a weapon for this Tampa Bay offense? Yes, absolutely. But it might take a little bit of time, just like it took. Rob Gronkowski at the time. Remember the first time that the Saints played the Bucks this season, it was Rob Gronkowski's first game back, and now the next time that the Saints will play the Bucks this season, it'll be Antonio Brown's first game back. And Rob Gronkowski was not the factor that people expected him to be week one, and I don't think that this version of week one for Antonio Brown will be what people may expect in terms of the last time that the Saints 
had to try to guard Antonio Brown, in which they gave up 185 receiving yards and two touchdowns to him. I don't think you see that same type of production out of him. Can it happen? Of course. He can have one of those games where he has a five-catch, 100-yard game. Uh, obviously, that's something that is within the realm of possibility, but I don't know how many of the packages they got him involved in, how many of the scripted plays they got him involved in, the two-minute drill they got him involved in that, the red zone. There's certain things in terms of how much. Just remember, he's only had one week of practice as well. And so we kind of have to figure out how long it's really going to give, how long it's going to take for him to really get involved in the offense. The other thing we have to consider, too, is that there's a very big difference between talking about Antonio Brown operating as the third, potentially fourth wide receiver in this Tampa Bay offense with Chris Godwin expected to play this week, as opposed to talking about him being the number one or number two guy. Because you're still going to have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin be number one, number two, particularly for this week, which will be Antonio Brown's first game back into the NFL since 2019. So I don't think that you really see him take a huge leap into this game that puts him in a role to where he's going to be somebody that is you know, a potential threat down in and down out. Like I said, he can make a couple of big plays. There's no doubt about that. But I don't know how much of a consistent factor he can be as the third or fourth wide receiver, and in that case, the fourth, potentially fifth option as well in the offense. And, you know, Ross, looking at the other side of the football, obviously you got Antonio Brown with his first game back. The Michael Thomas is going to have his first game back since the last time the Saints right. played the Bucks, And obviously with the whole ankle-hamstring thing, and it seems like more likely than not he will play how much of a role do you think he's going to have in this contest? Because it feels like it's going to require a little bit of a ramp-up. Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know this feels like a, a week one game in some way for both of these teams, uh, which is really interesting because, of course, these two teams met in the actual week one of the season. Uh, you know, I think Michael Thomas is probably going to be a quote-unquote game-time decision, but you're right. It seems to be trending toward the idea that he'll make his return for this game. He is expected to be active no matter what. And so now the big thing is just how much do you get him involved and how much do you need to get him involved and how much do game situations dictate that, right? If there's a point to where you feel like you're comfortably operating on offense, does that mean that you don't necessarily rely on Michael Thomas as much and instead you just focus on getting his legs back under him and then getting him back in rhythm with your breeze from time to time? Or does he become an every-down necessity because of the way that he's producing when he comes back? I think that it is something that because you have Sean Payton as your play caller, you have the ability to sort of adjust based upon the game situation, which is something that Coach Payton does very well. I think you could see Michael Thomas's usage go with that same type of rhythm, the sort of ebb and flow of the game situation. Because you're going to see, uh, to me, I think, a lot of these quick passes in this game because you're talking about a Bucks defense that blitzes 42.9% of their defensive snaps. They blitz Daniel Jones on Monday Night Football over 78% of the time, particularly up to a certain point in the game. And so I think that because of that, you have that aggression from the Todd Bowles defense. You're going to want to get the ball out quickly. Michael Thomas, obviously, is going to be, would be a big part of that. The other big part of that, of course, would be Alvin Kamara because one of the best counters to, you know, a blitz that's taking out some of these linebackers, it's putting some of these linebackers in the backfield, is to throw the ball right over the top of their head on a screen or a pass out to the flat. And that's where Alvin Kamara becomes valuable. And so I think you can sort of listen or feel the ebb and flow of the game, and then that might dictate just how much michael thomas we see i got one more question for you ross but let me give the people a quick update with the cajuns game right now early third quarter Please. cajuns just marched down the field quick strike 33 yard rushing touchdown from levi lewis gives them a 7-6 lead now let's flip it on over to the, to the back to the actual saints talk because i think that's why people are tuning in to hear you and i talk about it <laughs> but yeah i texted you this during the bears game Mm-hmm. Has your thoughts changed on the C.D. Deuce-Michael Thomas fight since then? 
Yeah, um, not not necessarily. I think I've been pretty steady on the idea that this was a moment where it was just two competitors being competitive, and if nothing else, you saw it on full display. I mean, to be honest, we saw it on full display in Detroit because we shouldn't forget that T.J. Gardner-Johnson also got Danny Amendola to get in his face, and Danny Amendola yeah. does not have that type of a personality at all. Uh, but you look at the fact that he – he made someone, Javon Wims, so mad that it took him 11 minutes and he still came out and, and retaliated. Shout out to Evan Sachs for his great breakdown of that entire situation. But, I mean, I, I, I don't think that my opinion has changed in that. I still think that it was kind of a one-off situation. C.J. Garner-Johnson backed it up when he was asked specifically about the Michael Thomas situation in the post-game interview after that whole Javon Wims event. Uh, but no, I, I still think that it. You you look at it, and if nothing else, you're 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 even more understanding of how the situation took place because these two guys are very competitive. These two guys are both guys that will jaw at opponents, and you have to imagine that they would jaw at each other and maybe not hold back as much because they're more comfortable with one another and they see each other on a daily basis. And so I still feel like this is something that was kind of a one-off event that has moved on and moved forward. And I think that they're both looking forward to being able to get Michael Thomas back on the field at this point to help this team win. Thank you so much, Ross, for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. Stay safe. All right, Ross Jackson, everyone. All Locked on Saints podcast, Canal Street Chronicles. I, I, that's why I've changed it up how I said it, because you say all Saints consider Locked on Saints podcast. I changed it up so that way I don't say it, and I almost said it. I hate myself sometimes. Going to take a quick time out. Got one more take in the chamber. And Louis Prejean, if you're listening – Earmuff it a little bit, because you're getting some heat right now. You're, you're getting the smoke when we come back. I think you got Adam uh, Racks right now, eating those racks on racks on racks of ribs over there. Also, great barbecue, so make sure you check that out over there. The Customer Appreciation Day rolling until about 4 o'clock. But when we come back, I got some smoke for you, Lewis, so keep it locked right here. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. I got to say it, because me and Lewis have gotten into this debate, and he brings it up again with the bring it on, calling it a sports movie. It's... And an underrated sports movie at that. I have got some, I've had some serious thoughts about this for a while. And I'll get to it. So, Bring It On is not a sports film in any form or fashion. I get it. There's a national championship, there is a national cheering championship. They air it on the four letter network, but they also air, you know, esports. That's not a sport. I don't like video games, but esports is not a sport. Hot dog eating. I love the hot dog eating contest. I watch it every year. I even watch it this year in the middle of COVID-19. That's not a sport. So to me, it's absolutely... I could have Kirsten Dunst, Gabrielle Union, all of them. Peyton Reed, the director of the movie, tell me it is a sports movie. I wouldn't believe them. Because it's not. As if it's cheerleading is a sport. It was a comedy movie based around cheerleading. And it was a teen movie. That's like saying that not another teen movie, which had a scene involved in it with, you know, it's a lot like hearing, you know, 
saying that not another teen movie is a sports movie because there's sports involved in it. I'm sorry, but Bring It On may not may be a decent movie, maybe halfway decent, but it's not. I repeat, N O T not bold underline italicize all caps. Not a sports movie, and it's not underrated. It's not an underrated sports movie because it's not a sports movie at all. And that's the bottom line, is the famous CD said so. So hopefully, Lewis, you enjoyed some of the smoke that I just threw your way. But that's about all I got here for Under the Dome, because i got to get out of here. i got to get out of here. Go ahead and enjoy myself for a little bit. Catch you into this Cajuns game. Cajuns got possession, by the way, up 7-6. After a really nice interception from Eric Guerrero, and they're rolling right now. Again, said it before, Cajuns are a second-half team. More importantly, I hope you have a great weekend. You enjoy the Saints game. You enjoy the second half of the Cajuns game. I'll be back with you next week, but I also got a surprise for you coming up a little bit later. Make sure you check out 1037thegame.com or podcasts. A brand-new Cajun Strong Style is about to come out. Got a full gear preview. Talk a little NXT, Monday Night Raw. Who knows what else I can get into and then I'll drop another one on Monday reviewing AEW Full Gear and everything else going on in the sport of professional wrestling. Peace out, everybody. Talk to you next week heading to the LSU-Alabama game, which honestly doesn't have quite as much stakes as it used to. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's on. Oh, yeah. Kick it.